0: Hello and welcome to Emerge Evolve Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24 and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rosgem and I'll be your host. Hello and welcome back to Emerge Evolve Lead. My guest today is Mark Resnick, and he is the author of a book called 10 Days with Dad, Finding Purpose, Passion and Peace During the Darkest Days of Alzheimer's and COVID-19. Today, Mark is going to tell us more about this story on the podcast. And because I know some of you are dealing with this in life, I thought it was a good topic for us so welcome to the podcast Mark how are you doing?
1: I am great Maureen it is so nice to be with you today.
0: First I want to just say I'm really sorry for your loss I know that your dad is no longer with us and I know a lot of us lost people uh, during COVID regardless you know some some of it was from COVID some of it was from old age and some of it was from other things right but um, so that part is hard no matter what time it is. But I know life has been especially difficult these past two years. But anyways, congratulations on your book too.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: When did it come out?
1: Yeah, it launched March 13 and it's been a whirlwind but an exciting one. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to get it out relatively soon after my dad passed. So um, it's it's been amazing.
0: When did he pass Mark?
1: He passed in October, oh, sorry. Excuse me. August
0: Okay. Of
1: 2021.
0: So let's go ahead and start off, why don't you, by telling our listeners a little bit more about you. Who are you? Where do you live? What do you do for a living? That sort of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Normally, when I'm not writing a book, I'm a full-time salesman, and I've been doing that for, geez, 30 years now.
0: And what do you um, sell?
1: So I sell what's called branded promotional products or branded okay. marketing. Mm-hmm, yep. You know, people want to put a logo on any kind of apparel or mug or anything. Some people call them tchotchkes. Tchotchkes. (laughs) (laughs) Premium. Yes.
0: That's what we call them in corporate tchotchkes. Yeah. All right. So the
1: irony is um, my dad was in this industry his entire life. And um, he asked me to join him in business in
0: 1999.
1: Oh. And then a few years later, we actually. Invited my two, I we invited my two brothers to join us. So, my life story is this basically: my mother moved out of the house when I was seven. My dad raised my brothers and I.
0: And there's uh, three of the, you.
1: Yep, there's three of us total. We grew up in a in a house in Norwell, in the South Shore of Massachusetts, and it was it was our own little bachelor pad, and we just had to figure things out everything from scratch. My dad had to learn how to cook and do the laundry. And oh all that
0: my, stuff. yeah. So.
1: Um, at the time in 1980, that was kind of unique. You know, the, the, my mom moved out and my dad stayed with us. And so to come full circle and to actually not only uh, enter the career that he had his entire life, but to be his business partner, all four of us, it, it was amazing. It was, was it, was it a,
0: his business then?
1: It was. Yes. Okay. He, he was working for somebody his entire life. And then in 1999, he said, I think I'm going to go into business for myself. Good for him. And that's when he invited me to join him. And, and the rest is history.
0: And how old were you when you started working for him?
1: I was 27 and he was 62.
0: Okay, wow. All right, amazing. Okay, and so um, what happened? Did you, did you see your mom when you were growing up or was she just gone from your life?
1: No, we, we did see her for, for many years. I, I think I was eight at the time. So probably for the next six years, we went back and forth to Boston and uh, alternate weekends between Boston and Norwell. Mm -hmm. So we saw her primarily in the weekends. And then right before high school, she stopped coming on a regular basis. So then I would only see her, you know, for holidays and and big events and things like that. Mm. So uh, it's, it's it's a good question. She was in my life, but she wasn't involved in my life is the way I describe it to people.
0: I understand. And were you the oldest of the three brothers?
1: I am the middle child. I'm a classic middle child.
0: Okay. No. There was six in my family and I am number three in the middle. So we're, we're alike in that way. Although I was kind happen. of, a, I was a scapegoat in my family though. So, so I got into a lot of trouble, um, but this is not about me. So let's talk about you. So All right. So you went into business with your dad. So you worked with your dad for all those years and he raised you. And so the end, what, when, when was the beginning of the end? How did you find out and go through that diagnosis with him?
1: Yeah. So I'll take a step back first. So I was with my dad and my two brothers for 14 years uh, in business. And then I actually decided to branch out myself uh, and, and go work for another company. Oh. So that was that was sort of the, um, th- that was in 2013. And then the, the next year, 2014, is when my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And in the beginning, it was the first few years, I mean, you wouldn't notice, and you didn't know if you didn't know. Um, right. He was still driving and cooking and doing everything he did before. Uh, that began to change a few years later, probably 2017 and 18, where it just started to decline a lot more quickly. Um, so we were together and then we weren't together. And then I ironically, um, Alzheimer's brought us back together again. Um,
0: did real- you, did you find your own family too? Did you start your own family?
1: Yes. I've, I've been married for 25 years. I okay. have teenagers right now.
0: Wow. And did your dad come and live with you? Was he living alone or did he have a significant other? Did he remarry?
1: he never formally remarried, but he had a significant other, a life partner for, for the whole time from Okay, 1980 until he died in 2021. So yeah, oh, 40 wow. years. Together. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: So, so what his living situation, he stayed with the partner until the end or did he move in or what happened?
1: No, here's the crazy part, Maureen. So um, when he, when his Alzheimer's started to decline and he could no longer drive or cook or take his medications, um, we would come, my brothers and I would take turns visiting him every single day, make sure his meds were filled, make sure he had something to eat, just to be with him once a day. And one day in March, 2019, it was my turn. I was making the drive and I showed up like I normally do, I supposed to take him out to breakfast. And he was just a mess. Oh. He, um, one of his um, symptoms was hallucinations.
0: Oh.
1: And I showed up, I opened the slider door and I almost walked into him and he, he just, I had never seen him like that. And I just reacted. I said, dad, pack a bag, we're going. That's it, we're out of here. And it was the last time he was ever in his condo. Um, we, we were looking for an assisted living place anyhow at the same time. And I said, this is it. These, these hallucinations are literally killing him. And I, I took him home with me um we we spent 10 days together at my house with my family my three my three children and it, it was uh the beginning of not only of our reunification but it was it was the beginning of a bond that frankly i had never had with him in my entire life 10 days doesn't sound like a long time but when you're dealing with somebody with alzheimer's it, it it's a very long time so and the 10
0: days was that Did he die at the end of 10 days? No,
1: no, no. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I I should have done a a much more thorough job of explaining it. So my dad (laughs) spent 10 days with my family and I while we were looking for an assisted living place for him. Okay.
0: All right. Somebody to really care for him that had caretaking knowledge. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He needed somebody there all the time. And um, we had an incredible 10 days. It was, You know, people with Alzheimer's, they're, they're very much with it. And then in his stage, when he wasn't with it, it wasn't too bad, but it was enough to sometimes make you a little frustrated if you didn't know how to deal with it. So we had some ups and downs during those 10 days, but we were, we were very pleased to find an incredible, incredible assisted living home, 10 minutes from my house. And so after those 10 days, we moved him in there and I got to see him every day, twice a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we can talk about that too, Maureen, but uh, ultimately he ended up in a nursing home um, because the cure there was next level and he needed round the clock care and it was extraordinary nursing home. And we we were so fortunate and blessed to to have found that home. And that's where he ended up dying uh, ultimately about, about 18 months after his, uh, he left his condo for the last time. Mm -hmm.
0: And so what are some of the um, symptoms that he had that you had to to deal with in that last year of his life
1: the biggest symptom was obviously memory loss was was number one uh you know just forgetfulness but you know at that age you know in your late 70s and early 80s forgetfulness is sort of for the course
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it, it's when you forget to sort of eat or you you pick up your car keys and say what what are, what are these for that's when you know, like it's it's getting pretty bad. Oh, okay. Um, so we, but the de- hallucinations once he left his condo, uh, he stopped seeing the scary hallucinators. Okay. You know, demons, as we call them, creatures, and his hallucinations were more innocent. For example, he would see an umbrella across the room and think it might have been a bird, or he would see a trash can and say, "Oh, look at that cute dog." Oh wow! You, you know so. Yeah, just more, more. I'd still call that a hallucination, but it was—they were friendly, friendly, and, and yeah, yeah. In the, the assisted living facility, which was which was a beautiful place, clean and bright, surrounded by other people with similar symptoms, um, it was a good experience and it was a good fit for him. But ultimately, his his Alzheimer's was declining to the point where he did need a little bit more care. And Maureen, unbeknownst to us, he was actually dealing with um, colon cancer at the same time. Oh, wow. Which we didn't know, but as his Alzheimer's um, declined and the colon cancer symptoms increased, that's when we knew, okay, this was, it was getting towards the end because we we couldn't really treat the, the colon cancer. You
0: can't do surgery or do any of that, yeah.
1: Yeah, not at that age. His Alzheimer's would have been uh, really hampered to the oh, point yeah. of his return. Yeah,
0: uh, anytime. I mean, I've seen and heard really horrifying stories about elderly people people that go on any kind of general anesthet- anesthetic and t- for surgery, and then they almost never even come out of it. They end up being, you know, incapacitated mentally, uh, even more so after that. So it is a scary thing to have to have um, any kind of surgery later on in life. Um, And then, and at that point you wonder, well, what's the quality of life anyways? And if they're gonna, you know, if they're gonna go, it's almost like let them go. You know, my mom was a nurse in her profession and career and she's still alive, she's 87. And we just recently moved her into an uh, independent living situation. She's got a gorgeous, beautiful two bedroom apartment. And yet it is an assisted living um, when she needs it, eventually, you know, when she needs it. So she's really happy there. She has a huge, there's an Olympic sized swimming pool and she swims every day. She's got excellent health and she takes care of herself and it's got a full kitchen and still drives and all that. Um, but I did have a friend of mine whose mom had, you know, had Alzheimer's dementia, I guess it. it's almost doesn't really matter what the diagnosis is. And she, um, she had some really interesting symptoms too, but in the end, she really didn't know her own daughter. And she had, she thought that her house that she had been living in for 45 years was her daughter's house. And she didn't know that it was her daughter. Do you know what I mean? She's like, oh, and one time she said to her, you know, she, and that's the thing about people, I think with dementia is they always maintain their kindness and their personality that, at the deep core. Um, that, you know, that even though they might not know the people that are around them, they're still really gracious and kind and loving, sweet people. And she said to my friend, you know, I think your mother would be really proud of you. And to hear that from your own mom, like, wow, it just made us all cry, what she told us in our little women's group. Did your dad remember you? right to the end. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, 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 I'm so happy for your mom. Um, those places are incredible. And, you know, it's just, they're, they're, the staff is outstanding. Mm. My dad had a similar situation. Uh, it was very nice place and they were just so gracious. Uh, my dad, because I was so close to him and because I saw him every single day, uh, I, I got to know the other residents, right? And you're spot on. If, if if a person was kind and gentle and compassionate before they continued to be that way, but the flip is also true oh you know if you know the residents they've been who
0: suppressing were, rage then yeah every you know knows. there
1: were there were several there was a resident in particular who was just always very negative and pessimistic and and that person maintained their characteristics um if you were a corny joke teller before you were a corny joke teller after your alzheimer's so <laughs> I found that fascinating um because he was so close i got to i I shared 200 meals with my dad over the course of 18 months and we had we had over 600 cups of coffee so we got very close wow more much closer than we ever were in our entire lives that was one of the hidden blessings of his alzheimer's diagnosis is that even though i had worked with him for 14 years and lived with him for 22 i didn't really know my dad and i didn't know his story until he got sick um I, huh. And so'm I'm, I'm gonna backtrack one second. I, I started my writing process. I've always been a writer or wanted to be a writer, but I've always been a journaler first. Mm-hmm. And when he got sick, uh, the only way I could deal with my emotions was to write. Yeah, So I started journaling about the experience. And then the more I wrote, the more I realized this is theres there's something here. There's a message here. Not just for me personally, but for others as well. So the book writing was my number one source of therapy. Um, It was very cathartic, and 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 that's that's really where it came from. It's just writing about my my grief and and experiences. I was the last uh, of his children and anybody in his life that that he remembered. Okay. So you know, over the course of eighteen months, you could see it was clear when those people had disappeared from his life because I saw him so often that I, I was lucky enough to be the last so-called remembered soul. But honestly, it was COVID that really put the nail in the coffin.
0: Oh,
1: Literally and figuratively. It was not
0: cancer. It was not Alzheimer's. It was COVID.
1: Well, let me be clear. Uh, the colon cancer ultimately probably killed him. Oh, okay. but in terms of remembering his family, it was COVID
0: <gasps> because you couldn't go visit him.
1: And the nursing homes shut down that first three-month gap, and then it was intermittent. I, I'll, I'll tell you a real quick story. I mean, uh, I can tell you it was October of um, 20, uh, 2020. I was seeing him on a Sunday like I always do. And, you know, he, he was pretty far along. And it was most of the time he probably didn't remember me at that point. Uh, but I remember on this one day, uh, Dad, see you next week, same time, same place. I love you, ma'am. That's what I used to always say to him. And nothing. And his, his aide started to wheel him w- away. He stops, turns his head, and says, I love you too, Mark. And I was like, whew. That was it. That was the last time. That moment was the last time he recognized me as his son. Because mm-hmm. from then on, it was, it, it, the, there were probably microseconds of recognition, but that was the last. Permanent memory of him remembering me. I'm
0: sorry. No, oh, that really makes me cry because I think that's the saddest thing. You know, all our lives, our our parents, you know, they take care of us, and <laughs> we become these amazing, productive people, and then in the end, it's it's really hard to see that declination and. But it's a privilege, isn't it? I know that you've received many blessings. Please tell us what are some of the blessings that you've received by taking care of your dad in the end.
1: You know, in the in the beginning of his decline, I, and I would tell people, I told my family, I told my friends. Um, it it's been a blessing. This disease has been a, and they said, what, what are you talking about?" And I said, well, I've just, I'm so close to him now. I, like I said, I didn't really know him before, and and now I do. I know, I know his story from him telling it to me and from talking to others and writing the book. And as soon as he got diagnosed, my life changed. How can it not, right? My, my priorities changed. My mindset changed. I, I realized for the first time, we don't have as much time as we think on Earth. That's right. Our bus rides are limited. Yeah, and we—I have to live my life in the moment right now. That was a blessing.
0: Every precious second. Yeah.
1: It—it was Maureen. I I mean, immediately, I'm—I have ADHD, so I I tend to jump right into change. Um, But it was like—I'm
0: like that too, and I don't have ADHD.
1: (laughs) Oh, there you go.
0: (laughs) It's a personality thing, I think.
1: It was just a huge blessing for for me to be able to say to myself, "I'm not going to have regrets." Yeah, like I you know I started forgiving people in my life. I started being more grateful. I started meditating. I just changed my lifestyle and my my habits. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, unbeknownst to my family, I, I'm here. I am going through this. I don't want to say hell because that's too strong. Um, darkness. This awful situation between COVID and Alzheimer's, and at the same time, I'm becoming the happiest I've ever been in my life. It was a weird, weird dynamic.
0: Weird dichotomy for sure. Yeah. 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 It's like when you're so, it's so painful, but you're so grateful for the pain because it wakes you up. It brings you to a higher level of consciousness. And it's almost like you can rise above your situation and look down in your life and say, like, wow, this is precious. And I can feel it. I can feel all of it. And I'm grateful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it wasn't easy growing up with, with a guy in the house. Having no maternal influence was very tough, and, and it affected us in ways that we didn't realize until we were older. When mm-hmm. we had our own relationships with women, and, and dealing with empathy, and my dad was just so busy, mm-hmm. he didn't have time to check my homework or ask me, you know, ask me how was your day. We, we we talk about that stuff, but we we didn't have a lot of deep conversations. He was just toast by the end of the night, um, and so it, it was difficult. But at the same time, I always knew what he was doing was pretty special. The sacrifices he made, you know, to senders to private schools when he could. And just he did the best he could. And all that came into light immediately once he got sick. I, I just It was just like I could see it laid out in front of me. All, and Maureen, I never felt in my life that I was a successful person. I just didn't have the confidence in myself because of the way I grew up. Because I didn't have that positive reinforcement growing up, yeah. I
0: always
1: felt I never. I always questioned my success and my purpose in life until he got sick,
0: Hmm.
1: and then I realized, oh my gosh, it was it was there, there right in front of me all the
0: time. I just never knew it.
1: That you know, it's almost like
0: that experience helped open you up to the full being of love that you are.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate that it took a terminal disease to do that. And, and that's really the the message of the book. Um, not to skip ahead, but ultimately it's, guys, girls, don't wait for tragedy. Don't mm-hmm. wait to hit rock bottom. Don't wait. You don't have as much time as you think. No. If you want to change your life, do it now. Don't mm-hmm. not, don't wait like I did for a terminal disease to wake you up.
0: Yeah, and, it's a great <laughs> message, Mark. Yeah. Um, in 2018, it was my sister-in-law started to decline. She had stage four lung cancer and we knew she didn't have much longer. And she tried a couple of treatments. She did have one lung removed and stuff. Um, anyways, uh, but she was a practicing Buddhist um, she was actually a practicing Buddhist nun for 20 years of her life. And then she left the order and became a family trauma therapist for like the second 20 years of her adulthood, you know, and in life. And she died um, in her mid sixties. But what I want to say about that is as she, she wanted to have a green burial and because she was so good at helping people through trauma, she helped Paul and I, my husband and I, really accept her death, her impending death, and talked us through it and, and and really worked through it with us. And we did a lot of our grieving while she was awake and alive. And she said that she wasn't sorry she was going. And I knew that she knew that there was another side, right, that she there was a, just a veil that, that she was going to a good place of light and love and um, higher being. And she she actually asked Paul to build her a casket. And it took it took our breath away when we got that request. I don't know anybody else who has ever built a casket for their loved one, but it helped us to understand death. Anyways, he put it off for a while because I guess he was thinking the longer I put it off, the longer she'll live, but he did in fact create it. And do you know that It was beautiful and it did go into a green burial cemetery where you couldn't have any nails or any, you know, it was all tongue and groove, beautiful, beautiful work. And, and he did a painting on top of it and, and it was presented to her at Easter time, um, three years ago. And then she died on May 2nd. So only two weeks later she passed and it was a beautiful passing and there were people there drumming her out and he was there with her and. It was, it really was a beautiful passing, but it just helped us to understand life so much better. How much, how little time we have on this planet and how much we have to really embrace each other and connect with each other. It's really difficult to go through a death with anyone. And I, you know, I give you a lot of credit for staying there right to the end with your dad and for writing that book. I want to ask you a question about the book, Mark. Um, in your bio, it says um that you actually within the book you develop your 10 commandments. Can you tell us about what those are and what was important to you there?
1: Yeah. So my dad, my dad was a hockey coach his whole life, and he actually had these 10 commandments of hockey. There were actually 29 of them, but basically it was <laughs> three sections of 10. Okay. And before every game as a youth this is a youth hockey player situation before every game we would recite these 10 commandments. you know for for example first man intakes the puck carrier the second man intakes the puck or always keep two hands on your stick and your stick on the ice these these fundamentals of the game of hockey which honestly i was never the best player on my team but i was definitely the most prepared and, and knew what i was doing because of the 10 commandments. so that was you know when he when he passed away all his former athletes, um, you know, reached out to me and said, I remember your dad. I loved your dad. I loved his 10 commandments of hockey. And I was like, 10 commandments, 10 commandments. I was writing the book. I already had the 10 commandments in there because you can't talk about my dad without the commandments. And as the story became really my story, not my dad's story, I started to reflect on, on the way he lived his life, what he showed me, through his actions because he wasn't a man of many words but he was a man of action so there were a lot of life lessons i learned from him by watching him my entire life and then there were a second set of rules or things that i was following in my life because of the experiences that i had that he was able to to give to me like through through my college and high school some of the service opportunities i had anyways the book is it's a self-help memoir Okay. Right. So it's, it's, it's yeah. about my life. It's about his story. And then the end of this, the, the last section of the book is about well, how did I find my purpose and my passion and my peace despite this? And it was, and it was because of the commandments that I had learned from him or developed over the years. Um, and, I, and I just put them in writing. It wasn't planned out that way. It wasn't, I didn't go out intentionally to write about 10 commandments or 10 commandments of living. Right. It just happened because of his hockey commitments. And, and it was, it was the, it was a good way to express how I've been living my life or how I want my kids to live their life.
0: Yeah. It's your legacy.
1: It's my legacy. It's, it's totally my legacy. I, I, you know, I wish my dad had a book, but he didn't.
0: Well, he did through you, you got to write his story and yours. Right. And it sounds like a beautiful end with lots of, um, Takeaways for how to live life even more in your final phases too. Because as we enter, we're the elders now, right? When we get to be the elders, we have to model all of those values that we learned in life. Hopefully, pass those on.
1: Yeah, no. One of the things the experts tell you when you're writing a book—it's my first time writing a book—is—is you have a specific audience in mind. Write to a specific. Don't try to write to everyone. And, and, you know, typical me, I just threw that out the window. I, I, was, uh, I wrote for people like me who are caring for parents and have their own kids. I was writing for people who don't have that experience yet, but are going to one day mm. because most of us are going to have to deal with aging parents. But I was really writing it for my children and young people. I, want, I don't want them to wait until they're 50 to discover their purpose and their passion. So I was really keeping the young people in mind. Pursue your passion now, and you'll be so much happier in life later on.
0: Oh, I totally agree. I actually wrote a book too. Did you know that?
1: No, I did not, congratulations.
0: thank you. I published in late 2018. It's called Emerge, Seven Steps to Transformation, No Matter What Life Throws at You, which would have been really good for people to read during COVID. but that's Absolutely. the whole thing and 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 I I started it off as kind of a memoir but I ended up making it a a self-help book with my story in the introduction instead so here's my background and my story um and here's here's the steps and you know going through that process it was huge it really makes you dig deep right and exactly who are you writing for well i'm just writing for me i'm just writing for me <laughs> my husband started writing a book he's uh, and it's going to be called something like compression socks for the soul <laughs> <laughs> I it. and a transformation into elderhood, into conscious elderhood. And um, I said, well, who are you writing it for? You know, is it people like and he's like, he, none of us authors, we don't want to hear that question because we're really, we're writing it for our own soul. But in yes. the end, there's a lot of people that can benefit from that. So I just really want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Mark. Um, Listen, is there, I want you to share anything else that you want our listeners to know before we wrap up and tell them how they can find you and buy your book.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. It's been great. Um, You can find the book on Amazon. Uh, My website is markjresnick.com. You can learn a little bit more about me, subscribe to my newsletter. Ultimately, maureen i i think like you just kind of hit it on the head there you, you start writing for yourself and then you realize that it's not for yourself it's for for other people and that's that's what was true with me it's true with your husband when he's writing his book but that's the best kind of book these, these memoirs with the message and my message again it's, it's pretty clear it's it's not definitely it's not just for young people but I don't care how old you are. It's never too late to pursue your passion. Right. I don't care how young you are. It's never too early to pursue your passion. And and what I tell people is you're under no obligation to be the person you were five years ago or five months ago or five days ago. There's no obligation to be locked into your past. We all have demons and darkness and things to overcome in our life. It could be addiction. It could be a death of a, a loved one or a parent. It could, there are so many things in life that can throw us off our trail so easily. And unfortunately for me, it, it, took a, it took a terminal disease to realize that it doesn't have to be that way. We can change our story at any point.
0: Oh, it's not going to be
1: easy. You know, it's not going to be easy, Maureen. But we can do it.
0: Absolutely. You can change anything in your life so long as you can get you can get it in your head of what you want to do. It's all about changing your thoughts. But yeah, and our beliefs and and those things, you know, we can live by default or we can live by design. And we can't live by design while we're still being a victim in the world or being unconscious. But as soon as you feel like, okay, I'm a, I'm waking up. I'm not doing it this way anymore then you have all the power in the world. Then you can consciously change whatever it is you want in your life. So I'm so glad that you found that mark. And have your brothers, have they followed suit?
1: Um, My brothers, we all have different ways of grieving and remembering people. And it's been a little bit tougher for them uh, because one, they didn't get to spend as much time with my dad at the end. I, I don't know if they had a process or um, an outlet to grieve. I had my writing and that was huge. Um, oh, right. Writing is such a gift, whether it's just writing down what you're grateful for.
0: Yeah.
1: Writing out your goals, writing out, just venting to yourself. Like you need to express or writing is such a relief.
0: Agreed. And, and
1: I'm sure your audience knows this, you know, I'm sure some of them have taken to writing in some capacity, but I, I strongly recommend it. And so th- their experience has been a little bit different with, with the grieving process. Yeah,
0: it, it's, it's like that for everybody and anybody, right? Um, you can't tell somebody else how to grieve or how to wake up and become more conscious either, right? You can't. All we can do, the best we can do, I think, is be role models, feel our feelings, and step into the next best version of who we can possibly be, right? and share our knowledge with the world and so that's what you're doing so i want to encourage everybody to buy mark's book and again thank you so much for coming on the podcast today
1: thanks for having me maureen
0: if you like this podcast please subscribe leave a review and share it with your friends You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learned in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters.